Hi, this is Eric, producer for Grief Hills. If you like the podcast, I wonder if you could do us a favor. Lisa and I enjoy doing this podcast, and we're also very grateful to you, our listeners. If you've enjoyed the podcast, gotten anything out of it, or at the very least have been amused or entertained, please hit that subscribe button. Tell a friend about the show and share on social media. And as always, thanks for listening. Welcome to Grief Heals, the podcast that explores how grief heals. Join us as we consider how grief invites love within ourselves, our communities, our world, our histories, and how it is that grief heals. I'm Lisa Michelle Zega here with Eric Simpson. Hey, how's it going? How was your Thanksgiving? It had the full spectrum of emotions and allowing that all emotions are okay and acceptable without the pressure that, oh, this is the day that I'm just supposed to be happy about every single thing. I think I actually felt more weight of heaviness around not feeling the way I was supposed to feel rather than just like sinking into and recognizing all the ways I was feeling. So that might have been a bigger response than you were looking for. But yeah, I actually think that just opening this discussion, right, a conversation about does God grieve? And if so, how that impacts daily life. I think that's relevant, even in my own processing of the array of emotions I experienced on the day we give thanks, right? What are you thinking about, Eric, in this discussion of God and grief? I think when we're asking the question, does God grieve? We have to define our terms. We have to define God and we have to define grief. We've already been defining grief. If you think of God as a Christian, I I assume we're talking about a Christian conception of God. Yeah, thank you for clarifying. That's my reference point. Okay. So I think that, yeah, that's fair. And Eric, before you move into defining our terms, because one thing arose to me is when we were defining love, you simply said, I think of love as attention. And that has really grabbed my attention. And then when you said we've already been defining grief, if we were to give a one word definition, I I would also say attention. Grief is giving attention to what was lost and, and the person that has lost what was lost. Well, I think we can come to a conception of God that works in other religions as well as in Christianity. So in Christianity, we say that he's transcendent, meaning that he isn't within the uh, space-time continuum, the universe as we know it. Not confined by the universe 
God in his essence isn't part of the universe. But what, what is um, understood by the people that I've read, I'm, I'm not an expert. I think of myself as a phenomenological theologian. I no longer say I believe, I say I suspect certain things. So I suspect that God is transcendent. That's um, pretty much an orthodox, small o, orthodox doctrine in Christian churches, which means that he's completely outside of our perceptions, outside of space and time. He's also imminent in all of creation. Mm-hmm. So these are complementary ideas. But not only is, he com- is God completely outside of space and time and beyond our conception of him, but he's also within everything. There's an Orthodox bishop named Callistos Ware who described this as panentheism. He says Orthodox are panentheists, which is different than pantheism, but it's saying that God is in everything. And I think it was Paul, the apostle, who said, in him we live and move and have our being. Mm -hmm. Yes. So if we have these complementary ideas that God is both transcendent and not subject to the conditionality of existence as we know it, we would have to say that God does not grieve the way that we do. But since he is imminent and he is also incarnate in the person of Jesus Christ, we can also say that he's there with us in our grief. Yeah. So Meister Eckhart was a mystic. What he was talking about when he said that the eye with which I see God is the eye with which God sees me. Mm. He's saying that within the context of talking about when Jesus says, I and the Father are one. My understanding of redemption and salvation isn't that God and his holiness cannot stand to be in our presence and therefore he has to sacrifice his son in order to punish him so that we can come into his presence. But it's more of an understanding. It's kind of simpler. It's God became man so that man can become God. And this that's an ancient aphorism among the church fathers. And so having said that, the goal of Christians then is to become like God is, and that's partaking in the life of God. I think Peter calls it partake, become partakers of the divine nature. And so in the church that I've been a part of for 30 years, which is the Eastern Orthodox Church, they have doctrines of theosis or deification, and that's the goal of our, of our lives. It's not to go to heaven or to escape wrath, but to fulfill the promise of what we are as human beings, which is creatures who partake of the uncreated life of God. And so given that, God is so close to us. You know, I, I think it's funny when people say, you know, I don't pray to God. You would never hear my prayers because he's so busy. There are millions and billions and billions of people, which I've heard from time to time from atheists who are trying to mock Christians using really simplistic logic. So God is so close to us and so familiar to us that he knows our thoughts before we think them. The idea that I have is that when we grieve, not only is God there with us in our grief, I mean, it's an entrance into the underworld. It's an entrance into the spiritual life, or it can be. When we grieve, God grieves with us. Our grief is God's grief. I am having, first of all, thank you. Thank you so much. I feel like I'm having an awakening even now. Oh my goodness. I feel overcome 
with with emotion and understanding, but understanding not of a cognitive nature, like my whole body feels awake in some sort of way that feels incredibly comforting. It is my suspicion, to use your language, that grief is love and is an entrance to the divine and is an entrance to the essence of who we are and provides even a path to to becoming outwardly, externally, who we are essentially inwardly. My prayers look very, very different than they once did as I was seeking to follow the formula that was laid out for me. If I were to try to trace my tears to the conversation that you and I are having, right? And like what opened inside me, the idea that as I couldn't even access my own grief yesterday, I felt a dissatisfaction with my experience of Thanksgiving. And I felt at war with myself thinking I'm supposed to be grateful. There is so much to be grateful for and yet feeling unrest. And the idea that God was experiencing me and my thoughts that I couldn't even access to think. And I don't even have the words to fully express what I want to express, but I feel so deeply seen and loved and held and even the freedom to trace over what my experience was. And and even that, Eric, I feel like, you know, you're the one that uh, defined again for me. I'm, I'm pretty sure I've been, I was made aware of these concepts at another time, but you brought them to the light again, this apophatic and cataphatic. But here's what I take from it. The cataphatic is more this idea of my of what I experienced in Christianity where I was introduced and I was just supposed to know it. I, I knew God through understanding God as God was revealed in the Bible. And my role was to get it right, learn it right, defend it right, move away from anything that was wrong or heretical and and this constant parsing of getting it right which went which went along with this robotic framework in an industrialized society of me as machine going through to try to just do it right there's a christian experience that seems to only involve the intellect and and we're more than the intellect but when we start you know, and, and I know when I was a Calvinist, I was actually reacting to my experiences as a Pentecostal type person or, or charismatic. It wasn't really Pentecostal. These experiences were very hard to discern what was going on in understanding the experiences that I was having or was supposed to be having, but wasn't having. So then I, I went from that to like an emotional where it only appeals to the emotion to the intellect. And that's sort of, I mean, where we were at, I think, when we were 
intellect is important, but that but we're far more than intellect. We are yes. noetic, you know, like the eye of the soul. We have a heart, and um, all of these things matter just as much, if not more so, than the intellect. We are hosting myself and three other coaches, trainers, facilitators, a live in-person workshop that runs for three days in Santa Ana. It is called Restoried, where we explore the foundations of transformation, of wholeness, of integration, of metabolizing our grief and our life so that we can create a new story on purpose for healing ourselves, each other, and our world. And what I'm most excited about is being with people that I've only ever met virtually in this shared space. But if you're interested, you can go to my website, legitu.com, which is in the show notes. And there is a, a button you can click and learn more about the Restory training that was written by Brandon Cook of Naming the Real. So when was that again? December 8th, 9th, and 10th in Santa Ana, which is in Southern California. The word that went in my mind that I sort of imposed on your story was you came out of a chaotic experience into like a structured intellectual experience. My history, uh, just lived experience history, was more chaotic, more uncertain, more not knowing. I think I had moved it doesn't matter. I don't need to be right or wrong about this, but upward of 20 some odd times by the time I was 13 years old, I had had multiple different fathers. Like I, and I say that not as any criticism on my childhood, just more the idea that there was a lot of change, a lot of chaos. And then, and then my own internal emotional swings were fairly extreme. Calvinism seemed like a I didn't recognize it. I didn't, you know, have this thought at the time. It brought a level of certainty, a level of what felt like safety. It gave me some sort of containment that I was looking for. But what it did not and could not contain was my inward experience. And so what it ended up fostering for me was a lot of uh, self-incrimination, judgment. It actually helped keep me in the dysregulated state internally because there was an ancient quest and chasing of getting it right until my whole world as I knew it dismantled. And in that rubble, if you will, sitting in the devastation of the life that I had sought to build, I met God. I met love and grief genuinely became my entry point. Like if, if I could personify grief, grief sat with me, I'm choking, held me, took my hand, wiped my tears, all the things that I was seeking from God. I met in my loss when I was not checking my religious boxes not doing it the right way. In fact, I made a lot of mistakes or choices. I, I don't even think I would call them mistakes today because I wouldn't be the woman that I currently am without them. 
You're reminding me of a line that I know is not original with Rob Bell. It just happens to be that Rob Bell is the one I remember saying it. And it is, there are no straight lines in nature, which is also part of what opened me to recognize, oh my goodness, this life that I was trying to live had me not real. That's why when I look at and talk about the Velveteen Rabbit, it's like, wait, a, a stuffed toy becoming a real bunny. Whereas a lot of this conditioning, and I'm going to say in an industrialized society and in a church context that focuses on the intellect, it's like taking a real human. It's the inverse of that, right? Until we are seeking to function like little robots we have some cataphatic statements from the scriptures. I mean, we have the incarnation of the word, the ordering principle of the universe made flesh in Jesus Christ within the Christian tradition. And he showed compassion for people when he went to the tomb of Lazarus. That's the only place. And wept. Well, and I'm even thinking of the Old Testament. There's two passages sort of racing to get uh from my brain to my mouth. The first, I'm just thinking of um, Isaiah 63 and, and God talking specifically about grieving. But the one that was jockeying for position in my, in my mind was um, with the, the longing of God, like a mother hen, to take uh, her chicks under the wing. And I think in a tradition, and, and I don't, I'm not saying that that's been the Christian tradition for ages. In fact, that's one of the things you're very much reminding us that it is not. But how I was introduced in the church, it was so much around my intellect that I think a lot of times in just even in our culture, in our society, not church, not thinking church at all. And we're so much like walking around thinking that my body is just what's needed to prop up this head that's holding this brain. And that is completely not even the case. The, the more we are understanding about our physiology around about our body, knowledge our body itself is holding. Yeah, and so both are, we are integrated. That's the other, see, I believe that grief is a, a gate to integration of the whole self. Not just the whole self, but whole relationships, whole communities, a whole world. Like that it's continually bringing us back together. I think that God is leading us. Like the way that you introduced this podcast of, of Jesus, the incarnate, bringing us back to God as we ourselves, as divine, as the intention of our being. Eric, with all that we've said, what are your specific thoughts about God grieving? Well, I think it's really, it, it really is important to keep in mind the transcendence of God. Yes. The apophatic, you mentioned apophatic theology, and that's also called negative theology, in which we acknowledge that God is not any of the things within space and time that we cataphatically attribute to him. So it's a little odd. It's complementary to cataphatic theology, but it's to help us remind us that's what revealed to us in cataphatic theology isn't the whole story. These are like signposts. These are like signs to tell us something about God, but it's not 
what God is like in his essence. There's also a distinction made that I forgot to mention, which this is within Orthodox theology. You know, that's, I don't know if it's true or not, but it's convenient to talk about God being transcendent and unknowable in his essence, but active in his energies. And so in his essence, we say God is not good. God does not exist because God doesn't have the conditions of existence. God doesn't have the conditions of, of being good that we have. So cataphatically, we know what goodness is, or we have an idea of what goodness is. And we can say God is good because we can understand that. That's how we comprehend something about God and about goodness. But what, what we need to be reminded by the apophatic theology is that when we say God grieves, we're not telling the whole story because we don't know what that actually mm. looks like. God doesn't suffer from loss, so he never has to grieve in the same way that we do. He's already there. But when we grieve, he, he grieves with us. I love that you brought us back to the both and. I love you that you brought, I do love you. And I love that you brought us back to mystery. And I love that this is not a discussion or conversation about answers, but about asking maybe bigger questions. And if I were to sum up for myself, it's that yes, God is, in, in a sense, totally other and totally with me. Mm. And I get to sit in that mystery. It is a mystery. God is the source of our being. He's the source of all being, the, the being of the planet, the being of us. And, and as the, he's, we're constantly, he's constantly in an act of creation. Right. Probably the first time I really went through a very serious and intense year and a half of grieving. But what I can remember, you know, I remember some of the qualities of the grief as being this fiery pain in my heart. And I remember it was painful. I didn't like the situation that I was in. But I went and had dinner with a friend of mine from church. And he showed me this little booklet that a friend of his had made by people who were suffering from AIDS. And I started reading it and I was just, I was moved and I had compassion for these people. And that would not have happened to me prior to my experiencing the grief. When we say grief is a doorway into love, I mean, it's bringing us back down to who we really are in some ways so that we can relate not only to ourselves in a compassionate way, and to each other, to community, because that's, you know, that's what I was doing, thinking about these people I have nothing in common with. But God is there in all of that. God is the medium through which we move to have compassion for others in our grief. That's it, Eric. So my entrance of grief that really was demanding my attention was also my divorce. And the, the catalyst was my children. I, I did not envision a world that I was living separate from my children. My children were, were still minors. And in that loss now, like now, Eric, I sit with people who are at times feeling devastated, like they don't know how they will keep living. 
I work with people in other contexts with completely different lived experience from my own, with different skin colors and languages. And I did not have that capacity available to me were in my own awareness until grief held me in the way that it did. I, and it's not just my story or yours, I get to witness this again and again and again of the bringing back together of an individual to themselves, me included, myself to myself, myself to the people closest to me, and then, and then those concentric circles getting bigger and bigger until now, I literally recognize that I am connected to all beings, even the way I relate to insects has changed. Like this is phenomenal to me. It's like miraculous. It's like, what is this world? been listening to Grief Heals with Lisa Michelle Zega. The podcast is produced by me, Eric Simpson, in association with Jump Up and Down Productions. Music by Ken Dalian, Drunken Nights to Sunday Mornings, and Stefan Carlin, A Calming Ocean, A Common Notion. If you would like more information about the work Lisa does, point your browsers to legitu.com. That's L-E-G-I-T-Y-O-U. Lisa can also be reached at lisamichelle at legitu.com. This has been a Jump Up and Down production.